All right, you may be seated. Good morning, everybody. So glad you're here online, uh, down at Tree Worth, down in the sanctuary in the ark. I just want to say welcome. So glad you chose to be here this morning. Whatever the reason, whatever the purpose, uh, we are glad. Hope you experience God's presence here. And we're just going to dive right in this morning uh, because we have a lot to do. Uh, if you joined us, we are in the fourth week of a message series we're calling The Happy Life. We're working out of Philippians. We're going to be there in just a moment. Philippians chapter 3. If you want to get your ready, you can download the app. You've not done so yet for taking message notes. You can pick up a little copy out there when you walk in out there at the Welcome Center of Philippians chapter 3. And thus far, we have learned some things. Uh, we have been comparing the happy life versus the meaningful life. And we have learned the happiness paradox that if I, if I just focus on trying to be happy, I'll never be happy. But if I focus on the meaningful life, then happy gets thrown in. Oh, we have learned something called the happiness illusion. This idea that if my circumstances are perfect, and that's what we all write, we always believe, right? If my circumstances are right, if my family is perfect, if my house is perfect, if my finances, everything is right, then I'll be happy. And then you get that, and you're happy for a little while. And then it kind of lessens a little bit. So we've been learning a lot, and we learned that I have a missional and biblical responsibility last week to figure out what it means for me to be joyful. Because the follower of Jesus, my gift, my, my being joyful is a gift to the world, to people who don't even know who Christ is. They see in me the joy of the Lord. It's not my joy, the joy of the Lord. I have an obligation to allow that shine in everything that I do. And we learned last weekend that the secret, the, the secret that happy people learn that happiness is not me indulging in my sinful self. I don't get happy by just indulging in all the things that make me feel good. I actually get happy when I die to self. Like Jesus, I allow myself to die, to empty myself, that I might be used for the well-being of other people, that I might be used in that way. And we have learned thus far that joyful people, uh, they're just more compassionate. Joyful people, they have more friends. Joyful people stay married much more so than people who have less joy. And people who are joyful, they, they thrive when things are hard instead of just crumbling to fall apart like so many of us do. And we have learned that the greatest predictor of someone living the joyful life is that they are, to the extent they're engaged in meaningful and loving relationships. The biggest predictor that you have people in your life that the relationships are meaningful and they're loving. Now, if you're someone who, is not, who needs some loving relationships, I want to reiterate that during this season of Lent, we're having a small group push. It's a great time for you to join and be a part of a small group to be around some loving people. Just for five or six weeks together as we go through Easter, I'm going to do a little video each week to kind of supplement our teaching on the weekend. Our message series title is going to be uh, Words, Life-Changing Words. We're going to have a different word every week that's life-changing in your small group. Have relationships, and you can grow a little bit deeper in your walk with Christ. And so if you want to consider that, stop in the crossing. Uh, let somebody know. You can go online there on the chat. Hey, I want to do that. Wherever you are, you can do that, and we'll help you get connected. Now, God, before we open your word, we stop and pause to ask you to speak. Uh, we didn't come here to worship this morning or join online, uh, wherever we are in the world, God, True Worth, Sanctuary, Ark, God, and the furthest places, you know, even Alaska and Florida, Ohio and Oklahoma this morning, God, uh, we didn't assemble here, God, just to hear a human. We come here, God, for you to speak a fresh word to each of us. 
So I pray you will do that. Not just inform our mind, God. Not just give us information. But we're praying for transformation. A changing of our heart. I ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now in your notes this morning, just jump right off the bat. The biggest obstacle to my joy is getting past my past. The biggest obstacle to joy is getting past my past. The number one reason, the biggest reason that you cannot grab hold of joy today is because you will not let go of the pain, of the problems, of the embarrassment, of the shame, of the issues of your past. And if you're going to be able to experience joy today and live the life God wants to have for you, you got to figure out how to get past your past. Now, we all have a past. We all have issues in our past we're trying to get over. I do too. In fact, I got some issues in my past I'm trying to get over that the staff keep bringing up. Such as that when I get up here sometimes, I get my tongue tangled and I misspeak names. And so they wanted you to see this. Hey, oh, guess what? Uh, Louisa Franklin. Boy, I got to read about that. Yeah, I called her Love Aretha instead of Aretha. Yeah, yeah. peace. Can you put it on the screen, please? Peace is when my. Ha! I'm sorry. You're on the screen, Shanda. Her name is Amy, and she's standing right here. I know her name is Amy. I called her Shanda. And so there's these issues that I have in my past that people keep bringing up. And Dallas and I continue to be in therapy because someone captured a very inappropriate photo right here. Can you put that? There we go. It looks like I'm trying to murder my wife. I got the butcher knife right there in the kitchen. And uh, so we're trying to get past that. We're wrestling on that. So... Here's what I'm just trying to communicate with you. This morning, we are going to figure out how to get past our past. And not just how do I get past the pain of my past, but how do I get past the power that my past has over me? So that all the hurts and all the shame and all the issues and all the blame and all that stuff from my past doesn't just rob me of the joy that God wants me to have today, but also from the future that God has in store for me. So this is going to be a participatory thing. you got to do something. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Right now, wherever you are, right now, I want you to grab hold of one thing in your past that if you could get past it, it would change everything in in your family and the people around you, and it would really change your life. One thing in your past. Think about it. What is it? I want you to grab hold of it. This is private. This is not to be shared with anybody around you. This is for you and God. Grab hold of that one thing that if you could just get moved beyond it, maybe it's a divorce, maybe it's a breakup in some kind of relationship, the pain is just like it happened yesterday. Maybe it's a parent. A parent who abused you, a parent who shamed you, a parent who had nothing good to speak into your life, a parent who didn't show up, a parent who neglected you, or maybe it's a flip-flop. Maybe you're the parent and you have a son or a daughter who crushed your heart. They just destroyed you and left you in shambles and just left you there and never come back to make amends or to make it right. Or maybe there's a boss or a business partner, business partner, you just can't forgive what they did to you. You just can't let it go. 
Maybe there was an opportunity that came your way, an opportunity, and you missed it. And today, you just beat yourself up. Man, if, I, if only I would, if I should, if I would have done that, everything. I just want you to think of one thing in your past, one thing, whatever it may be. Maybe you lost someone deeply to you that you loved, and you just can't let the grief, the suffering, the pain of that experience go. You just can't let it go. Think about it. What is it? What is it you need to get over? What is it you need to move beyond? What is it in your past that you need to get past you in your life? Now, here's what I know. There are too many people who continue to sabotage their life today because you go into your past and you pick it up and you lug it and you carry your past into your future with you like it's some little prize. It's kind of like the golfer who tells you the old golfing story. He gets home from, late from, from playing golf and normally he's home much sooner and the wife says, man, how did golf go today? He said it was terrible. Really, what happened? Well, everything was going fine. Till on the 10th tee, Charlie had a heart attack and he fell down and he died. And after that, it was just hard. It was hit the ball and drag Charlie, hit the ball and drag Charlie, hit the ball and drag Charlie. And that's how some of you live your life. You wake up in the morning, you pick up your past, you drag it to work. You pick up your past, you drag it into a date. You pick up your past, you drag it into a marriage, you drag it into the lives of your children. Over and over and over and over and over and over again. And you're stuck. You are sabotaging your life. And at some point, you got to come to a decision and ask yourself, Do how long do I, am I going to keep living like this? How much longer do I want to allow what happened to me yesterday to impact what I'm experiencing today? How much longer am I going to drag, 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 and just let it destroy me and drag me down today? How long am I going to do that? How long am I going to give power to the person who hurt me, to the person who lied to me, to the person who offended me? How long am I going to give them power today over what they did yesterday? How long am I going to do that? How long am I going to torment myself by what if, what if, why didn't I, why couldn't I, why shouldn't I? How long are you going to do that? I will tell you, I know some people who just do that and never get beyond it. They continue through their entire lives. And you are never going to have the life that God has for you. You are never going to navigate today with joy until you learn how to navigate the past with grace and truth. I'm going to repeat that. You will never, ever navigate today with joy until you learn to navigate your past with grace and with truth. Philippians chapter 3. Beginning at verse 12, the Apostle Paul says, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, or arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind 
and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He says, I have a past. It's behind me. I have a goal. It is in front of me. The goal to be the person that God created me to be. The the goal to live the life that God created me to live. To make a contribution to this world for which the purpose was God gave me life and gave me birth. Toward the relationship that God wants me to have, not only with people around me, but with God himself. And he says, one thing I do, I do not let my past interfere with my future to which God has in store for me and the today he has given me. I don't do that. I press on. I strain forward. Not backwards, forward. He says, one thing I do, every night when I go to bed at night, my past is behind me. When I wake up in the morning, I press on to what is ahead of me. One thing I do, I claim the power of God in my life, not the power of my past, the power of God in my life today. I live today in the power of God for my life today, not what happened to me in my past. Now, this woman right here, by all practical purposes, this woman I'm about to tell you about, uh, she should be just an emotional wreck all the time. She should be an emotional zombie. Her movie was like a horror movie for a little child in growing up. She was raised at home with a mom and a dad who abused her, abused her, neglected her. There was substance abuse, abuse. There was promiscuity. There was criminal activity in the home. There was threats of violence and acts of violence by both the mom and the dad towards each other and toward the kid. Hellhole. You would think she would have turned out just a nightmare of a life. That's not what happened. She turned out to be an amazing wife, an incredible mother. She lived her life full of joy. Follower of Jesus. She chose to become a foster parent. To take children, particularly little girls, into her life and under her arms who were having the same sort of experience she had in her childhood to make sure that a new ending would be written for them like was written for her. She made a choice to not allow the evil that she endured to have the last word of so many little children, particularly little girls. And if you go to this woman and ask her, how did you do that? How did you take such a tragic story in your life and it turned out to be so magnificent and wonderful and great? What did you do? And she would say, I chose to stop dragging my past into my future. I chose to allow God to rewrite a new ending to the nightmare that I was born into. And some of you were born into a nightmare. And you're still living it today. I chose 
to have this relentless mindset, this resolve that I would not let the evil and the darkness of my past outshine the light of God in my present and in my future. It would not have the final word in my life. And the Apostle Paul says, I strain forward. I strain to what is ahead. That word strain literally means with every morsel of cell, of muscle in my body, I intensely press looking forward, not backwards. I'm looking forward toward the person, toward the life that God has created to me to be. Now, church, this is a heroic choice. And it's your choice. And there are people in this church family and people that I've come to know and love for many, many years, when faced with this choice, don't make the heroic choice. For whatever reason, you're caught up in the stuff in your life, and I just want to speak to you because I love you. You choose to be passive. You choose to be passive-aggressive. You choose to allow your past to speak into your present more than what you proclaim to believe here in the, in the Word of God. And you just kind of step in hope. You know, I just kind of wish. I'm going to wish this all away. I'm going to wake, tomorrow, wake up tomorrow and it'll get better. I'll wake up next week and it'll get better. I know sometime eventually it's all just going to take care of itself and it's all going to be okay. And I'm here to tell you, that's not how life goes. And that's not what the Scripture teaches. The apostle says, I, I stress for, I forget what is behind. I forget, and forget me too, what forget does it mean? Forget does not mean that I erase it from my mind. Forget doesn't mean that I wash away all the things I experienced, all the hurts, all the memories, all the pain. It doesn't mean that I just forget about it. It means that I'm going to look at it and learn from it and grow from it to allow it to be something new in my life for God to redeem it for God to take this terrible awful thing I just can't be pastor and God to redeem it into something new that I never believed could happen that's what forgetting means it's not erasing now here's the reality here's the reality there are some of you that will never do this You're just going to live in your past, keep bringing it up over and over and over and over and over and over again. And if you haven't figured this out yet, the one consistent in your past is not him, not her, not them. The one consistent thing in your past is you. When you look at your past, your today, and your yesterday, the one person that keeps showing up in the story is you. That's why they pay me the big bucks to give you that incredible insight like that. <laughs> That's why you came here this morning. Oh, I haven't thought about that before. The Apostle Paul says, one thing I do. I forget my past. I leave it behind me because if I don't, you know what you wind up doing, church? That second marriage starts looking like the first. And all those friendships that you think, well, why don't I have friends? Why don't I have friends? Why don't I, why don't I have friends? Because you've never yet looked at yourself and got honest about you and evaluated you. 
A lot of us do have the same financial problem over and over. And over. You know, I just can't get out of my finances. I, just, I seem like I'm always in a financial crisis. It's the world. You know, it's my being. By bad luck on me. It's the culture. It's the market. It's the economy. It's who's in the political office. You put it all upon them. But the consistent person is you. And you never get honest about your relation with money, about why you spend and why you do what you do compulsively with this thing called money. There's an interesting scripture right here over in Proverbs uh, 20, 26, 11. And we'll put it up here on the screen. And I think I got it memorized almost by now, but I don't want to. It says, as a dog returned to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. And when you first read that, you go, what's the word vomit doing in the Bible? You know, it's kind of, it's like a seventh grader wrote that proverb or something. Oh, this is so cool. Let's put the word vomit in there, you know. But the word vomit is, is so repulsive. It's kind of gross. Who does that? Who keeps going back to the past, those stinky, smelly, regurgitating, ugly, nauseating? And it says, people who do that is a fool who's repeating their folly. Paul says, I forget what is behind me, and I press on to what is ahead. Forgetting doesn't mean I erase it from my memory. Forgetting means I learn from it, and even in the midst of the middle of the stinkiness of it and the ugliness of it, when I'm looking at it and I'm wrestling with it, I'm focused upon it, that I do not allow God to do a new thing in me and allow me to grow spiritually in the midst of the worst of it. Forgetting means I'm not gonna, I'm gonna let my past educate me, not devastate me. I'm gonna let my past inform me, not deform me. That's what it means, forget. Now here's what I want to do here. I want to have, take you, I want you to take that thing that I asked you to grab hold of in your hand at the very beginning of this message. And I'm going to invite you here in a second to put it in one of these three circles of the circle of bad, one of these little thirds of this thing we're calling the circle of bad, okay? And so I'm going to kind of help you kind of see about your life and about how you live in one or three of these and sometimes all of them. And the first circle of bad right here, we're going to call my bad. My bad. If you're taking notes, it is my bad. And my bad is something that I did. It's something that I have done in my past that I can't get over. And when I get stuck in my bag, when I get stuck here, what I experience is guilt. Guilt. I mean, I just get, I just, you get stuck here, you begin to feel it, you feel it, you feel it, just the guilt weighs you down, you drag that with you into the future. And the only way I can get past this guilt is to own it, to acknowledge it, and to learn from whatever the experience that is my bad. And, and the only way that I do that is something that we do during Lent heavily. It's called repentance. Repentance is actually the concept of acknowledging, owning, and learning from my guilt. We also call it taking a fearless and moral inventory of my life. The, assault, the psalmist puts it this way over in Psalm 139. Psalm 139, we'll put it on the screen. It says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me, God, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. 
There's just a practice that I do periodically in my life, particularly during the season of Lent. And here's how it works. It's from a man by the name of Ignatius Loyola, one of our early church fathers. And this is how it goes. He challenges you and me to go look at our lives and to find the one most darkest sin in our life that we just cannot get past, that keeps on showing up in our life. If you're anyone who reads the King James Bible, the King James Bible calls it your besetting sin. Besetting sin. In other words, what is your worst, darkest, besetting sin in your life? Now, here's how I do this. You take this, this inventory of yourself. This is called repentance. I will get my Bible. I will get my journal. I will get my pen. I will sit down in my chair early in the morning, and I will have my cup of coffee, my beverage, and my drink, what I normally do, and I'll get out my journal, and I might write down, okay, God, search me, God. Let me know my heart. I'll just write that down. God, would you please show me the sin in my life? Show me the sin as you see it. Help me feel remorse. I'll just write that down in my journal. Here's what, then what, I'll, here's what I'll do. As I'll get up in the morning and I'll review the previous day. You know how a coach will take a film and break film down? Look at the film of the previous game, every play, every player, and analyze it and make notes. I do that for my life. I look at the previous day, go back to when I woke up in the morning, the day before, and I'll go, okay, what was my mindset? What was my attitude? What was I thinking? What was I feeling? What was my attitude like as I started the day? I'll write some of those things down. And then I kind of go from, from meeting to meeting, from conversation to conversation, from place to place to place, and I start looking at my life from the previous day. What did I do? What was I thinking? What was I saying? How did I treat others? How was I processing? Was I reacting? And then, after I have all that written down in my journal from the previous day, I'll look at that, and I'll find the one that I feel like, man, that is the most glaring, that if I could just take care of that issue, bring it before God, and deal with that, a lot of the other things would go away. That's guilt and dealing with repentance of my actions of dealing with, with that. Now, it's really cool when you get in the activity of doing this, you begin to see your sin in real time. What I've learned over the years, one of my greatest sins in my marriage with Dallas, is that she'll be telling me something that's going on and something she's wrestling with as her husband, and I will take off my husband hat and put on my pastor counselor hat right in the middle of the conversation and try to therapize and fix her. <laughs> I've learned that's not a good thing to do. And so what I've learned to do, when I, the other day I saw myself doing that right in the middle of that, I just stopped put my husband's hat back on and just stopped talking and started listening. And life was so much better for her and for me. I just didn't try to fix anything. I just went, hmm, hmm, hmm. Church, if you don't stop and focus on, and nobody wants to do that. You know what you want to focus on? You want to focus on this. And you'll know what I mean when I bring it up. Or you want to focus on this. Nobody wants to focus on this because you feel so ugly. You feel, you want to, it's everybody else's fault. You're the victim. Everybody else is a problem. All of them. And we see this happen, play out in, in the media all the time. A politician or an athlete, right? A politician or athlete, famous, well-known. Uh, they go out in the town, kind of relax and kind of chill out. They drink too much drink way too much, get on a table, you know, say something stupid and foolish, offensive about women or some sort of about another politician, somebody gets a video of it, they, goes, they post it, it goes viral. Next day, there's a press conference, and they stand in front of the cameras, all sobered up, all cleaned up, and they say, I'm going to face my adversity head on. And I want to say, 
Hey, listen, that's not adversity. That's your guilt. That's your bad. That has nothing to do with adversity. Hey, listen, Helen, Helen Keller faced adversity. Nelson Mandela faced adversity. Jackie Robinson faced adversity. You, Mr. Politician, you, Mr. Famous Athlete, who's got all that, you, this is your bad. No, this is, you need to say, this is my bad, my guilt. And the only way you get past that is to acknowledge it and own it and learn from it and repent from it. And church, I'm saying it takes courage to do that. That's why they call it a fearless moral inventory, to get honest about yourself and to deal with the sting and the humility of your own shortcomings and your own failures. To look yourself in the mirror and say, yeah, that's me. I'm judgmental. I'm quick-tippered. I'm greedy. I'm selfish. I'm secretive. I betray people. I'm a user. That's hard to do. But I'm here to tell you, until you do that, you will never hear the words of God when he says, listen, I hear that, I saw that, you bring that, and you put it at the foot of that cross, and you are forgiven, it is over with. Now forget it, leave it behind you, and go forward, and be the person I made you to be. That's my bad. Here's the second one. Here's the second one. The second one, oh, you're going to love this one. This one is your bad. <laughs> hey, it's not my fault. It's your fault. Somehow I got to get over something that you did, right? Somebody hurt you. Somebody lied to you. Somebody betrayed you. Somebody said something about you that wasn't true on social media. Some boss didn't treat you fairly. Somebody violated you in your past. It's your fault. This is a tough one. Because when you allow yourself to get stuck in this area, right, when you get stuck over here, you get guilt just weighing you down. When you get stuck over here, the emotion you feel is resentment. Resentment. And resentment, whew, it's a tough one. See, you and I, we live in an age of rage. Have you noticed that? Everybody's mad. Everybody's angry. And we think we have the right, anytime we want to, just because we see it on media, just and just rant. Age of rage. So I'm at the gym. I'm minding my own business. I'm sitting in, in the leg extension. I'm finishing my workout. And I'm resting 30 seconds in between each set. And I get a text from one of my sons in one of my breaks. So I'm texting him back, and I feel somebody standing behind me. And I look up in the mirror. Yeah, there's a guy standing right behind me. I just kind of nod my head. Yeah, hey, dude. And, uh, and he, he stands there. He just keeps there. And he comes around the corner and kind of looks at me and looks down at my phone like he's going to take the phone out of my hands. Like I'm, I'm going, hey, listen, dude, there's another leg extension machine just 50 foot over, and there's only 10 people in the whole gym. Why are you right here in my space? And I started to bless him right there. And then I thought, everybody in this gym knows I'm a pastor. I can't do that. And he might show up and come to worship at Pathways sometime. So I can't do that. So if you're here this morning or you're watching online, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. 
But if you ever do that again on site, I will bless you then. I cannot guarantee you if I will constrain my... See, it's, let's see what happens to us. That we just find ourselves so short and reserved that we just want to lash out at them. And the only hope of getting past resentment is forgiveness. Is you've got to be able to forgive. You've got to be able to forgive. Forgiveness does not mean you enter back into a relationship with that person. Maybe you never enter back into a relationship. Sometimes you've got to make sure you can trust them, that their heart is sincere. But when you have resentment, you want revenge. But when you choose to forgive, you give up your right to make them pay and to punish them and to hurt them and to make them suffer and to feel guilt. You give up your right when you forgive that. And some of you right here, you don't even know how to do that. You can't even think about it. you could ever forgive somebody because you were raised in a home where you didn't even talk about forgiveness. You were raised in a home where there was yelling and shouting and cussing and slamming doors. And after there was sh shouting and yelling and cussing and slamming doors, it was just over. You didn't talk about it. Maybe days of silence. But when it was over, you didn't talk about it. You never resolved it. You never said, I'm sorry. You never said forgiving. So you don't even know how to do this. I get it. It's hard. It's challenging for some of you. I know that. I was very fortunate. I was raised in a home. We had those kind of conversations. We had family meetings and talked about unpleasant things if we had to. Uh, like, like, for example, some of you know the story of when my, my parents went out to dinner and I was responsible for how, taking care of my three sisters. They wouldn't behave, so I just locked them up in a closet like any teenage big brother would do. <laughs> I just locked them in the closet till mom and dad got home. That did not end very well. When we got home, we had a family meeting. And I came forward and said I was sorry. They told me they forgave me. We had big hugs. And then they never stopped bringing it up today. They want to make sure I learn that I don't do that. It's past, but they've not forgotten it. They've not erased it from my memory. And I know some people who think that forgiveness is just supposed to happen just like this. It doesn't happen that way. Sometimes it takes 20 years. Sometimes it takes 25 or 30 years. I know of families where this is true. Sometimes it just, you got to take the time and do this step. But time does not heal anything. It's the things you do with the time you have that allows you to get to a place where you can forgive. So maybe some of you, you need to go home and write down on a little letter all the ways this person hurt you or in an email. Maybe you send it, maybe you don't. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Maybe you call and have a conversation. Say, you know what, I, just, I need to say this so I can get behind it. Maybe you go, go, go talk to God and ask God to help you. Maybe you do that. Or maybe you read what this passage over here says in Colossians 3.13 when you go home. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. I'm watching the time. You stay with me. Do not bail. Do not quit. Because somebody needs to hear these things we're talking about this morning. This is really important. You do not forgive someone because they deserve it. No one deserves to be forgiven. You forgive someone because the scriptures command it and because it sets you free from the prison of resentment. And if you have a hard time forgiving, you do what the Apostle Paul did. And he thought about what the price that Christ made for his own forgiveness. He said, how can I not forgive after what Jesus did for me on the cross? Here's the final quadrant. And that is, it's bad. 
I mean, it's just, it's bad. It's not your bad. It's not my bad. I mean, in this world, you will have trouble, right? And that's when you analyze the situation and you compare it to some of the circumstance and you go, man, man, what if? You know, what if I had gone to that school? What if I had gone to that job? Or what if I hadn't married that person? What if I had married that person? What if I had moved there? What if? And you start comparing everything, and it kind of gets you in this world of kind of overwhelming sort of thing. And what you're experiencing right here, the issue is regret, is regret. You have this general emotion of just painful regret. They did this research of Olympians. Do you know who the happiest of the Olympians, the medal winners? The happiest is the gold. Who's the most miserable? The silver. The next happiest is the bronze. They came in third. They're happier than the people who came in second. They're just grateful. They're just grateful they got a medal. But the people who win silver, all the history shows, they live with regret. What if I would have worked a little harder? What if I would have done a little more? What if, what if, what if, what if, only, if only, only. And they live with this regret. And the only way to get past regret is to believe in a hope for, like that, a for, my future. That's the only way you're going to get past that regret. And when it's bad, it's just bad. It's a bad circumstance. It's a hope for my future. That somehow that God's going to take this thing in my past that was awful, and God's going to do something wonderful and amazing with it in my future. Now, here's how we're going to finish. Do not bail with me. This is your life, and I'm going to give you three paths that you can choose right now with what you're experiencing in your life, okay? This is how we're going to finish it. This is vitality, the energy, the joy that you have in your life. Meaning, purpose, this is time. Time is always moving this way. And let's say you have something happen in your life. We'll call it suffering. I'm going to put S. And when that hits you, that bad thing in your life, you just lose all vitality and energy and joy, and you come way down here on the scale. I mean, you're in the negative. And many people stop right here, and all they, they become a survivor. All they do is survive. I mean, they languish, they torment, they're miserable the whole life because of what happened way up here, and they're miserable. This right here is the Dallas Cowboy fans this weekend on Super Bowl weekend. <laughs> They're just surviving year by year. How miserable. Then there are some people who suffer. They come down here, and they ask because of counseling or therapy or small group, they rebound. Somehow they rebound back up to where they were. But there's a small group of people who suffer and come down here and just knocks them off their keister. But they keep going to rebound and beyond, and the Scripture calls it, that's someone who is thriving. They are thriving. And here's what all the research shows. People who down here who've experienced four or more adverse childhood experiences of mental health issues, of addiction, of abuse, of negativity, of depression, are 12 times more likely to stay down here and to be depressed and maybe even do suicide. But if people, all the research shows, if have a hope, a hope that their suffering has meaning, they thrive and even go to a greater height in their life when they find that this experience had meaning and purpose in their life. A hope. See, that's what happened with David and Goliath. That's what happened with Joseph when he was unjustly thrown in prison. That's what happened with Daniel when he was thrown into the lion's den. And that's what happened to Paul when he was in prison in Philippi singing hymns to God in the middle of the night when he was in chains. And Paul's hope, 
Paul's hope was not in his ability to bounce back himself. His hope was in a man named Jesus. Here's the fourth path. That in his suffering, a man named Jesus who was crucified on the cross that somehow took his suffering and he died on it and he was resurrected from it. And Paul says, that's where I have my hope. The crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus is how I see my entire life and even these things that happen way down here. That's why he says, I want to know Christ. I want to know the privilege of suffering with him. I want to know the power of his resurrection in my life, participating in his death even, participating in his suffering. This is my focus. This is how I can look forward. I look forward to what Christ has done for me, that all things work for the good for those who love the Lord, who are called according. Everything in my past, everything. Paul says, hey, I want to know Christ. I want to live with Christ. I want to love Christ. I want to focus on Christ. I want to serve Christ. I want to allow Christ to take my life and to turn into something I cannot do on my own. I want to live with him. I want to suffer with him. I want to die with him. And I want to be raised to new life with him. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and looking toward what is ahead, toward the goal, toward the prize that Christ has called me heavenward. That is your life, and that is your hope, period. I want you to take your hands, sit wherever you are, online, true worth, in the sanctuary, in the ark, at home, take your hands, take what you had in it at the beginning, and I want you to close your fist, put them in your lap, and I want you to close your fist tight. Close them and squeeze tight. I want you to hold on tight to your wrist and your hands start to cramp. You're digging your fingernails into the skin, the palm of your hand. Hold on. Maybe it was guilt. Maybe it's your bad. I'm not talking my bad. Maybe it's the why my bad part. Something you have done. Maybe it's something somebody else has done. You got resentment. Maybe it's just been life. It's just, it's just bad. And you have all these regrets. These regrets about your life has not turned out the way you expected. You keep comparing it to other people. Whatever it is, hold and squeeze it so tight. I mean, just squeeze it. Because that's what you're doing. You won't let it go. Just squeeze it. And I encourage you to pray, God, help me. Help me, God, to repent, to come before you and to get honest. God, help me to forgive. Help me, God, to hope in the new thing that you can and you will do. Help me, God, help me. Now, very slowly, just take your hands and just very slowly unfold them. Just feel every nerve in your finger as the blood begins to flow into each tiny little digit on your hand. Till your hands are totally open, 
palms face up, scarred by the pain, the blood rushing in, the love of God, the grace of God rushing into your fingertips. Do this a thousand times, do this 10,000 times. You do it as many times as you need to, church, until you are free from what is behind you. God, we strain. We press on. We press on. We press on. We're hanging on to you, God. We're trusting in you, God. Lead us, God. Lead us, God. Lead us, God. Lead us, God. Forward, God. Not backwards. Forward, God. Until we live the life. Until we're set free. To know the joy. To know the power of you in our life today, God. In the name of the resurrected Jesus. All God's people said. See you next week.